0: Welcome to the Insurance in Australia 2019 podcast from Asia Insurance Review. In this podcast, you will hear about some of the bigger issues that insurers, reinsurers, brokers, techs, claims administrators, risk modelers, risk managers and industry bodies are facing. Like most other nations in Asia, Australia's insurance sector is facing a familiar set of problems, including what one reinsurer described as being the three C's cyber, climate change and corporate culture. It's the question of corporate culture that has dominated discussions about the financial services sector in Australia for all of 2018 and the start of 2019. Discussions that inevitably lead to the elephant in the room, the Royal Commission. The phrase Royal Commission into Misconduct in the Banking, Superannuation and Financial Services industry is enough to make many C-suite executives in Australia reach for the Panadol or Gaviscon or both. Established in December 2017 by Australia's Governor-General, Commissioner Kenneth Hayne published his final report on February the 4th this year. Part of the focus of the Commission and some of the latest round of hearings focused on insurance, the sale and design of life insurance and general insurance products, the handling of claims under life insurance and general insurance policies, and the administration of life insurance by superannuation trustees. Equally importantly, the hearing also considered the appropriateness of the current regulatory regime for the insurance industry by focusing on case studies from the life sector, including AMP, Clearview, Comminsure, Freedom Insurance, REST and TEL and the non-life sector including AAI, Allianz, IAG and UE. The catalogue of alleged misdeeds from the insurance arms of Australia's major banks is long and includes all the usual areas like denied life insurance claims, inappropriate sale of car insurance add-ons and disaster insurance as well as selling income protection to the unemployed and more. Some Australian banks have responded to this pressure by selling their life insurance businesses, perhaps spurred by the increasing scrutiny and the trend in the direct life insurance market of high cancellation rates and poor claims outcomes. But in case this sounds like an industry in its death throes, nothing could be further from the truth the general insurance industry saw its profits rise by 4% to $5.01 billion in 2018, according to KPMG Australia's annual General Insurance Industry Review. Meanwhile, KPMG's Life Insurance Insights Report 2018 indicated that the sector also continued to grow steadily, with gross policy revenue increasing by 6.6%, to 24.7 billion to August 2018. The Royal Commission report seems carefully constructed to ensure that the general public does not lose complete faith in banks and insurance companies and cause a credit crunch. Instead, the report calls for better enforcement of existing regulations. In future, financial advisory services will face an overhaul with fee arrangements renewed annually by the client. There will also be tighter disclosure around independence and another review to be completed by the end of 2022 of the effectiveness of the new measures. The superannuation industry also faces new challenges. The Commission recommends that each person should have only one default account, reducing around 10 million unintended multiple accounts that attract unnecessary fees. The hawking of superannuation and insurance products Will be banned. The government will set up a compensation system of last resort to ensure that consumer complaints are heard and that any compensation is paid. The report identified salary and incentive structures as the root cause of much of the trouble. He recommended APRA increase the intensity of its supervision of pay structures, taking into account misconduct, compliance, and other non financial risks. Some of the main recommendations relating to insurance, superannuation and financial advice included Heavy-handed selling of insurance products should be banned. Funeral expense insurance policies should be defined as a financial product, bringing it under the oversight of ASIC. Impose a cap on the commission that can be paid to car sellers for add-on insurance products. Handling and settlement of insurance claims would be defined as a financial service a single default super fund for all workers. Individuals should be stapled to a single default account. Ban on advice fees deducted from my super accounts. Advice fees for non my super accounts would be prohibited in most cases. Heavy handed selling of superannuation to be abolished. industry reactions to the Royal Commission depended to a large extent on which side of the fence you're on. The representative body for Australia's general insurance industry, the Insurance Council of Australia, was called to give evidence at the public hearing of the Royal Commission. The Insurance Council of Australia's General Manager, Communication and Media Relations, Campbell Fuller, pointed out what a huge drain on resources complying with the requirements of the Royal Commission was.
1: It has absorbed um, tremendous resources um, in terms of uh, legal counsel, legal advice, um, specialist staff, data scrapes for the Royal Commission itself, production of uh, tons and tons of documentation, as well as the requirement that companies own up to. Um, misconduct or poor customer treatment without the Royal Commission actually ever having defined what that was.
0: And this also hints at one of the perceived flaws in the approach of the Royal Commission that it was trying to cover too broad an area. Nevertheless, Mr Fuller was clear on what he thinks the Commissioner was looking for.
1: main focus of the Royal Commission for General Insurance has um, been around Um, products that were not seen to be fit for purpose um, as well as um, issues around how companies responded to consumer issues and whether self-regulation has been particularly effective for the general insurance industry.
0: But without a doubt the real red flag for the ICA and for many others, it came when the Commissioner addressed the issue of what has become known as the question of conflicted commissions. Conflicted commissions are generally speaking seen as payments to sales agents that have the tendency to skew the type or the range of the products that an agent might choose to sell. A concrete example of this might be a broker who recommends a product to a client because he gets the biggest commission payment for selling that product and not because the broker feels that the product is the one that is best suited to the client. The worry is that rooting out commissions that are truly conflicted might run the risk of messing up commission arrangements that are fair and useful in the process. As Mr Fuller puts it,
1: Um, The regulator has been talking about conflicted remuneration and about commissions. Uh, One of the concerns that the industry has is that the Royal Commission may Seek to ban all commissions in general insurance.
0: Managing director of Steadfast, the largest general insurance broker network and group of underwriting agencies in Australasia, Robert Kelly, was equally concerned about where the commissioner was going with this approach to the issue of commissions and whether or not they were conflicted.
2: There's, there's a lot of discussion about what conflicted remuneration is, and I think that 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 name that that uh, that is. Branded around without any real reference to the market that a commission operates in and how commissions actually treated. The reality is, in our market here, the the uh, the uh, excessive commissions that were quoted in the royal commission, they don't apply. We we've, we've never been in that area, so we we don't have to be conflicted.
0: The picture painted by Mr. Kelly tries to represent how complex the world of commission payments in insurance actually is these days.
2: There's there's an assumption that if somebody pays you commission, that that you will give them business, but the whole general insurance market operates on paying commission. So if everybody pays commission, it's very difficult to say it's conflicted.
0: The world of insurance broking was not actually one of the areas that the Royal Commission was set up to address. As Mr Kelly is keen to point out, but it still had a profound impact on the entire
2: area. The most uh, destabilising thing that happened uh, in 18 for us was, was the uh, Royal Commission, because the, um, the connotation was that financial services is in huge problems uh, was too general and not specific enough about what the problems that, that were uh, uh, were put forward, and I mean. If you look at, even if you look at the banks and uh, and, the, and the small amount of general insurers that were called before them, they were it wasn't it wasn't across every sector of how the banks operated and every sector of how the insurance companies operated. Now, it was in some specific areas which should have been rectified and 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 should have, and, and and were wrong. But to actually have to get to a situation where a royal commissioner had to sit down and ask people questions. I thought it was a a real indictment on how poor the management of some of these companies were. What
0: this tacitly acknowledges is that there were elements of the insurance industry that needed fresh oversight and almost inevitably any kind of independent third party investigation was going to have to look at everything, including brokers. Scott Ryrie, CEO of the Risk Management Institute of Australasia, took a slightly different view and expressed the hope that one of the outcomes of the Royal Commission was that corporates in Australia might begin to take the subject of risk more seriously. The Risk Management Institute of Australasia is an independent body that seeks to raise the profile and influence of corporate risk managers and so, in Mr Ryrie's view, there could be some hidden upsides to the outcomes of the Royal Commission findings.
3: I believe that the Royal Commission findings will only add to the momentum and pressure on. Companies to recognise that risk and many of the functions within risk and culture in organisations needs to step up because that has been what has been missing as identified within the Royal Commission.
0: It seems likely that the next couple of years will see various outcomes from the Royal Commission start to play out in the Australian insurance and risk landscapes. An Asia Insurance Review intends to bring quarterly updates to follow this progress. But of course, Australia is a big country, and a year is a long time, and it's fair to say that the insurance sector had many other issues that it needed to grapple with throughout the year that had nothing to do with the Royal Commission. Pretty much every economy in the world is also grappling with the issue of cyber as a new form of risk. The informed view seems to be that cyber is something that is here to stay, and corporates as well as insurers really need to do more to tackle the issue. Munich Re Australia's Ralph Ronnenberg keeps a close eye on how much the perception of cyber risk is developing in Australia. He had this to say.
4: In the strict sense of cyber, cyber as a product, uh, I think market penetration here is very low as in most other parts of this this region compared to, particularly to the US. But it's something that people have on their minds and I think people, consumers, are aware of this risk and certainly there will be a growing demand of that going forward.
0: Part of what Mr Ronenberg is alluding to is the fact that cyber is very much a new risk that insurers, reinsurers and corporate risk managers are only now starting to get to grips with. Risk modelers, like RMS, represent another set of players who take a very close interest in how corporate Australia is tackling cyber risk. As RMS Sydney Managing Director Pierre Viat points out, cyber risk is fast becoming a mature subject.
3: I think cyber is quite quite an advanced topic now. Uh, It's been discussed in the last few years, but now there is those books, you know, all risks are being transferred and passed on to these insurance companies. So their books are growing. So before it was a very minor concern, if you want, because losses would have been very minor or what they would have been underwriting. But now obviously this is growing everywhere and uh, on a fast pace. And so now they need to understand effectively what kind of impact these risks uh, would have to their own uh, uh, balance sheet.
0: And this is a point that is echoed by Scott Ryrie, CEO of the Risk Management Institute of Australasia. Mr Ryrie's challenge, in essence, is making sure that corporate Australia develops a proper appreciation of the place that risk has in the corporate hierarchy.
3: Cyber is viewed by many as being an IT risk, it's a business risk, Um, certainly IT is part of it, we acknowledge that, but it's not only an IT risk. The financial dynamics of a company aren't only a risk within the finance team, they're a risk within all of the teams because all of the teams can impact finance and I think that's the changing role of the risk manager.
0: The fundamental issue with getting to grips with the issues surrounding cyber risk is that it is still a rapidly evolving threat on at least three levels, simply malicious, simply for money, or state-sponsored. But the real threat, as far as insurers are concerned, is that a cyber attack could be massive, global, and simultaneous. And such a scenario is not something that today's insurers and reinsurers are ready to cope with. This, in turn, could make it difficult for Australian corporate risk managers to know where to turn for cover for any threats to their own infrastructure or systems. No conversation about insurance in Australia would be complete without acknowledging the other fast-growing risk issue, climate change and natural catastrophes. Australia gets more than its fair share of natural catastrophes like drought, bushfire, floods and storms. But while 2019 got off to a bad start with the floods in far north Queensland, bushfires in northern New South Wales, Victoria and Western Australia, as far as 2018 was concerned, Australia got off relatively lightly. Hardly surprising that this is an issue that is very close to the heart of Sedgwick, Australia's biggest claims administrator. Sedgwick Chief Executive Officer of Australia, Diego Ascani, told us.
1: 2018
4: from a business as usual perspective was relatively quiet because in Australia we had very little cat work. Uh, Very good for insurers because it was a quiet year, very good for, I guess, the population in Australia where we didn't see the sort of cyclonic Uh, catastrophes we we traditionally see, Um, obviously for claims administrators uh, it was a quiet period and we did did see lower volume in claims.
0: It looks as if 2019 might not be quite so benign and the whole issue of climate change and NADCAT is fast becoming central to many discussions in the political realm, in the economic realm and in society at large. Munich Re Australia's Ralph Ronnenberg is quick to acknowledge the central part that NatCat plays in the business of the German insurer.
4: What you can say in Australia, whilst there has been a hailstorm just before Christmas, uh, overall there haven't been any other major catastrophes in the region. So I'd say it's a, probably a long-term average would be slightly below expectations from our from our reinsurer's perspective.
0: But it is clear that a quiet year in catastrophes does not mean that the reinsurance sector will be spending any less time on either natcat or climate risk, which in Australia as elsewhere is a central and growing area of business.
4: Climate risk, I would say uh, this is very prominent in Australia. A, uh, uh, Australia is a country that is uh, has a large exposure to, to weather risk and with that uh, with climate change uh, there will certainly uh, be a change in this risk and uh, the local regulator APRA has been very vocal about their expectation that the boards of all financial service industries uh, companies here are fully uh, on top of climate risk and what it means to the to their organizations so therefore it has that topic has had a lot of prominence in this market 2018.
0: Mr Ronenberg explains a little of the background of where protection against natural perils comes in the overall risk landscape in Australia and how reinsurers can pool risks from different geographies in order to be able to make insurance cover more affordable for societies most at risk
4: first and foremost it's protecting the consumers against the physical perils of climate risk and i mean that comes back to uh, what's called our business right? the cat uh, and nat- cat- uh, insurance protection against natural catastrophes and our role in australia i think is a very important one because we pool uh, australian peak risks with other international risk and therefore make protection affordable in this market no? and uh, i guess the demand for that will be growing
0: Pricing the risk of natural catastrophes wouldn't be possible without access to some kind of predictive modelling that helps to forecast the size and scale of future natcat events, whether they're flood, fire or freak weather. And this is really where the industry's risk modelling firms come into their own. RMS Sydney Managing Director Pierre Viat said...
3: last new topic to be discussed is, is uh, climate change. So it's a new... Definitely something new, new, if I may say. And in a sense that it's very much people trying to ask the right questions how to handle it. But and the discussion is being really forced by the regulatory environment.
0: Mr Viatt also points out one of the reasons that there is such a renewed focus on seeking protection from natural perils is that it has become a compliance duty for many firms to be seen to be demonstrating increased awareness of the issues surrounding climate change and natural catastrophes. The
3: board of financial uh, companies, also insurance companies, but by, by financial I meant the banks, <laughs> uh, they've been asked to now report and discuss uh, the impact of climate change on their business. So obviously, that will take a bit of time to see how to take of that, how to handle it, but it's definitely a topic that needs to be addressed, and even superannuation funds—you uh, know, responsible investment is mm. a big topic for them. And anyway, and, and the impact of climate change and onto the society.
0: Another strong feature of the Australian scene is the reinsurance sector and a significant part of that is the Australian Reinsurance Pool Corporation. After the September 11 attacks in 2001, many governments around the world established what they call terrorism risk pools. Essentially, these pools are there to cover losses in the event of a large-scale terrorist attack. Losses that wouldn't typically be covered by the commercial insurance sector. The establishment of such pools is seen as being central to the workings of a commercial real estate sector. Australian Reinsurance Pool Corporation Director Dr Christopher Wallace indicated that 2018 had been a relatively good year for Australia's terrorism risk pool.
5: For the six months from July to December, our premium is currently running slightly more than planned and um, currently 10% more than last year. So that just indicates that the commercial insurance uh, markets strengthening in terms of market pricing. So the first message from us is uh, our premium rates reflect underlying premium rates and some and insured and, and we're seeing a strengthening, a strengthening in both volume and, and premium rates.
0: This demonstration of increased market maturity is incredibly important for the long-term robustness of the commercial real estate sector in many developed societies and certainly in Australia. Without terrorism cover that was keenly priced, many large-scale investors in commercial real estate might be tempted to look elsewhere to park their cash. Dr Wallace went on to explain.
5: Retrocession renewal for us is very important. We were able to achieve a slight reduction in pricing for the 2019 Retrocession Programme, which was very pleasing for us uh, because it reflects the quality of information we're providing to the reinsurance market and their support for the Australian risk. And uh, with that slight price reduction, we were able to convert some of that into buying some additional cover. And so the price reduction plus reinsurers' appetite to increase their participation, um, enabled us to purchase an additional top layer on, on our, on our retrocession program of, of an additional $250 million in 2019. And so that increased our total reinsurance purchase to $3.315 million.
0: Although still in its early days, this is very good news for the development of the reinsurance sector and shows that the business of providing terrorism cover from a government perspective has got a long-term future in Australia. Munich Re's Mr Ronnenberg is equally bullish about the strength and depth of the reinsurance market in Australia, which he sees as both healthy and competitive.
4: Generally, it's a very wealthy society and the big cities or the really densely populated uh, parts of the country, they are all exposed to significant natural risk, natural exposure, natural cat exposure. And therefore, the demand for reinsurance is very high in this market. And it's a very sophisticated and educated market, which I think has uh, strong competition, but rational competition. And I think that all in itself creates a very exciting place to play.
0: Finally, we take a look at the burgeoning Australia insuretech scene, which is as lively and engaging as any we have seen in Asia. At the centre of it all is insuretech Australia, which says that its mission is to make Australia a world leader in insuretech by fostering a diverse community of insurance innovation and collaboration, by bringing together techs, insurance practitioners, entrepreneurs, technologists, innovators and industry stakeholders across Australia. InsureTech Australia has some impressive backers and founders, including Munich Re and QBE, and InsureTech Australia partners with ANZIF, the Australian and New Zealand Institute of Insurance and Finance, to produce its annual conference. InsureTech Australia CEO and co-founder Simon O'Dell talks about an initiative to outline the scope of the InsureTech scene.
2: In May 2018, we released a report with EY titled... InsureTech enabler or disruptor. The conversation in leading InsureTech ecosystems moved on from this simple question several years ago. Addressing this question head on in Australia via this ecosystem report allowed us to fast track the conversation.
0: Mr O'Dell seems equally confident that the InsureTechs will play an increasing role in the future of insurance in Australia.
2: The report concluded that lead-in insurance firms of the future will be those who successfully partner with InsureTech to realise a digital transformation strategy. So the question shifted from if to how and, and what in terms of developing a strategy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Insurance in Australia 2019 podcast. Subscribe to hear other podcasts from Asia Insurance Review from iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and direct streaming from www.asiainsurancereview.com.